The following podcast is an Embassy Row production. As Liz says, welcome back to Scissoring Isn't a Thing, but as I always correct her every week, this is the top of the show. So welcome to Scissoring Isn't a Thing. I'm Darren Karp. And I'm Liz Cully. And you know, I just figured people are just, I just had to make continuously fun listening to our episodes on a loop, you know? Oh, that's that's what I think is the smart decision to make, Liz. Um, but you look wildly better than me today, so I had Stop. to take you down a notch. And that's really what, it's, what it's this is. It's a lot is. of makeup. I had a makeup lesson from my friend not too long ago to do better makeup on Zoom because I felt so washed out. Wow. I mean, usually it's just lighting, but I guess makeup is is kind of the key. It's I guess, lighting. Liz? I have a very light and bright West Hollywood apartment. What can I say? But I have a lot of highlighter. Well, speaking of, of light and bright. We got to start off our conversation with with our guest that we're bringing on uh, today, who's who's actually a friend who I've never met in person. So this Love is going to be kind of an, an interesting thing. Took a pandemic. Took It took a pandemic to get us together. Uh, but his name is David Sook. He's the founder and CEO of St. Luna, a craft moonshine that is charcoal filtered. I've had it and it's delicious and exceptionally smooth, which is true on the market since May of 2019. So he's a brand new baby. St. Luna is a gay owned and operated spirit that is fast growing and poised to reinvent the perception of moonshine. We make beautiful cocktails and have a lot of fun doing it. Welcome, David, to Scissoring Isn't a Thing. Thank you both so much for having me. Absolutely. I have to know, what is a gay-owned spirit? I got to know what a gay-owned spirit is. Is there anything gay about St. Luna or is it just you that's gay? It's just me. (laughs) (laughs) But no, we actually have a pretty diverse uh, management team. So um, my chief operating officer is also gay. Uh, He's been my best friend for, oh God, maybe 12, 13 years. Uh, And our chief brand development officer is actually a trans woman. Ooh, we love love representation there. Yes. You're the, you're the guy kicking it off because Liz and I always want to highlight like queer businesses of any sort, certainly diverse businesses, queer businesses, like that's what we're all about. And so we kind of are having you on for this inaugural, we've had other business owners on, but you were really kicking off this segment. And so we just, we have so many questions for you about your business, but uh, first off, it was correct for me to say that you identify as a gay man, right? We don't like to uh, impose that on any of our guests, of course. Yeah, absolutely. You know, now that I'm sort of in my late thirties, I have like zero issue with that. Did you have issues before? Yeah, walk us through that. What kind of issues? Yeah, I wouldn't say issues. I guess I would. You know, in your early 20s, you're sort of like striving to sort of like be somebody. And coming from a Long Island town in New York where it was very, very conservative, you don't necessarily come leaping and bounding out of the closet. And so, you know, there's sort of this big stigma of to be able to get ahead, there are certain sort of tick boxes that you have to check. Um, you know, and there's always this fear that being gay doesn't necessarily tick one of those boxes. So for me being in a position where I am now, where I'm able to not necessarily hire people just yet because we have no money and we're a small startup. But when we get to that point, it certainly is nice to be able to hire diverse and, you know, hire amazing, amazing people, irrespective of their backgrounds, their gender, their ethnicity. Um, you know, for me, it doesn't matter. Well, it's interesting that you went from saying that, you know, you didn't feel like you it ticked the box being gay, but now you're using being gay as kind of in your marketing for your product, right? In some cases, yes, absolutely. Um, You know, I'm very open about it and I wouldn't necessarily say using it necessarily in marketing, but I guess more just 
being okay talking about that's just who I am. Yeah. I don't mean to get like weird and nerdy on a marketing level. Darren knows I can go in this she's level. A, she's a queen of marketing. Yes, but it's exactly. interesting oh, because it. there were a lot of studies done at my previous place of work and where I work now talking about, you know, in COVID, how brands were keeping alive and what consumers were really leaning towards. And really this idea of aligning from a value perspective to a brand became incredibly important, especially amongst millennials. So I would say, you know, we've had the, our friends, Natasha and Freya, who started Cool House Ice Cream. And they had said to me actually a couple of weeks ago when we spoke that once they put women owned, queer owned on yeah. their packaging, they actually saw a spike in sales because I think being authentic, being who you are, you know, showing diversity in products, people are like, you know what? I want to support a gay moonshine. I even don't even know what, I want to actually take it a million miles back after this and talk about what moonshine is. But I I say in your marketing, because I do think it's important, rather in your brand mission, maybe I should have corrected myself. I think it is really important and cool if you feel comfortable to be as authentic in your brand position and messaging, because, you know, maybe that's what we, that's what consumers go for. Right. So I I think if it's genuine, I guess for me, it's, if it's truly part of the story and something genuine, um, then that's one thing. Whereas if it's just purely for marketing purposes to sort of attract a different demographic of, of customer, then I think that's a completely different, different side of the equation where it almost sort of becomes exploitation. Totally. So that makes sense. More about staying true to sort of my story. Um, you know, the friends who've helped me build this business to where it is now all come from very diverse backgrounds and it's embracing that. Well, I'm actually curious. It's it's interesting because June is Pride Month and, you know, in New York City, where I am, West Hollywood, where Liz is, uh, you know, Pride is is amongst us. But there will have been some debates and Liz and I have talked about it on this podcast. And I'm curious now that we have sort of this you know, gay business owner here. What do you think about the companies who pretend, well, maybe not pretend. What do you think about the companies who are overly prideful just for the month of June? But then when like July one hits, they go back to like not having the rainbow flag in their storefront or anything like that. I mean, are you encouraging of businesses to do that? Do you want to see that? Or do you find that to be very inauthentic towards a brand because they're only doing it for, you know, the 30 days of June? I think it's inauthentic. You know, I guess I sort of have mixed feelings because I love that there is an element of representation there that sort of speaks to broader communities, you know, but I tend to look for, is there diversity, not just sort of in your rank and file employees, but all across the organization? Like, you know, are we talking about boards of directors that have openly gay people where they're telling their story or openly, you know, diverse folks that are telling their story, or is it really just you know, let's tick the box. We're diverse. We have a couple folks that, you know, that fit that bill so we can market that way. Yeah, I agree. I think it's, it's, you know, it's tough because pride sponsorships, right. Have become, it's so expensive to get that airtime. And so you start to see these large companies buying in and you're right. Like, it's kind of cool to see the representation and the support, but then it makes it so queer businesses could, who are just starting out that are startups could never get a float or a, you know, a sponsorship of a concert or whatever it is. It's tough. It like almost took a double-edged sword that, yeah, perfect. Yeah. That's the word I was looking for. You know, I've certainly have 
a ton of people that have helped me without sure. necessarily asking me to write very large checks to do certain uh, sponsorships. So, you know, I do think that there's room for startup LGBTQ businesses. And, you know, I just hope that these larger companies are using this as a platform to sort of hire more diverse and really kind of walk the walk and not just pander to people because they think that's going to be an extra 10% sales boost. Yeah. I'm actually curious for you, like, because you had sort of mentioned this in the beginning, and I wonder if you've ever thought about it. I'm sure you have, but it almost feels like to me as a guy in his late thirties, who's starting off a business in what seems like an impossible fucking industry, like beverage industry, liquor industry, food industry seems literally so daunting to me. I can only imagine, uh, how hard it is, but in a lot of ways, you marketing it as, you know, a gay owned, you know, you're, you're, I think you said Mm -hmm. your partner is also gay. And then you have a trans woman, man, trans woman. Yes. A trans woman who has just joined our team as our brand development person. And which is fantastic. And so having that and being obviously proud as you should be of that has owning a business that you want to highlight as maybe being a you know, not only is it moonshine, but hey, look at us like we've we're authentic and we're gay and we're proud of it and we're, we're trans. We're also proud mm-hmm. of it. Has that helped your journey of like accepting yourself in being gay, like growing up, maybe a little bit more conservative has like the business really opened you up in a way that you never thought? Or is it kind of the reverse that you were kind of open before and it made your business kind of skyrocket to that? Yeah, you know, I think I was more open before. So my last job, I was the chief operating officer of a company that actually sold baby blankets. Okay. I was very much able to be who I was as a person, the good, the bad, the indifferent. And I think that really helped me grow into sort of where I am now and just being very comfortable with who I am. And, you know, then hoping to extend that through what we do at St. Luna, who we hire, who's on our executive team. And hopefully when we get to the stages of having a board, then it's just it's an equal representation of people. Do you find that the alcohol category is very like homogenous in regards to representation? You know, there's definitely, there's a lot of women owned vineyards. There are, um, you know, there's some, there's some representation out there. Now, is it tens or twenties or thirties of, of us? No, (laughs) I think there's probably, you know, five or six gay owned brands that I'm aware of. And perhaps there's more that I just don't know, but I'm hoping that there's more of a trend coming. Yeah. Where did the name St. Luna come from? Can can we know that it origin? Gives, yeah. So it gives you like a really nice ethereal feeling of the moon, which sort of is right. part of the label development as well. So you've got that really nice navy blue that sort of represents the night sky. Um, you know, the gold and the lettering is sort of the illumination of the moon. Really what we were sort of looking for was how do we tell people it's moonshine without knocking them over the head that it's moonshine? Hmm. Interesting. Okay. What was your signature drink in college? Well, as embarrassing as it's going to be, it was a Poland spring water bottle filled with vodka. (laughs) (laughs) And it had to be a Poland spring water bottle, David. I mean, you were very could be anything, but that traveled handy. And, (sighs) you know, back when I was in my my college days, we obviously didn't have any money to go out. So you'd sort of pregame quite a bit. And, you know, you take your water bottle with you on the subway and that would just be your vodka shots on the way to wherever you were going. Right. I think it was XL, you know, like you go to XL and Chelsea and oh, you know, yeah. Moxley when that was still open and going. And yeah, lots of pre-gaming because I couldn't afford to buy cocktails out. Isn't it kind of amazing? All of us are in our 30s now that like looking back of like 
the shittiness that we consumed and put into our bodies, like at 18 years old. Like I used to funnel vodka soda. Oh, absolutely. The things you can (laughs) do with, my God. I I can't believe this will probably shock you, Darren. When I, I had lived in New York and then I went back to San Francisco and my like go-to was a racer five with a shot of Jameson on the side. What's a racer five? Yeah. What is a racer? Racer five is a really, 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 really high alcohol IPA beer. Okay. Like what? I would never drink that now, but it would get you completely fucked up or I would just have tequila shots. But like, I just think about that in my life. Like what? Why? Why? Anyway. Yeah. I would do whatever you gave me. And like, you kind of get to this age where you're just like, wait a minute, do I really want to like stand elbow to elbow and like muscle to get an overpriced, like, you know, shitty cocktail? Or do I want to kind of just be sitting on a lounge somewhere where somebody brings me a beautiful glass of wine? Yeah. I mean, that's the, the difference between 18. Yeah. Right. Always the latter. Always the latter. When 18 though, it was the former. You're like, hell yeah. I want to be elbow yeah. to elbow. I know. I don't know how that's going to change now post pandemic, but I don't miss standing elbow to elbow for like a $12 Coors Light beer anymore. I don't, I don't fucking miss that. Um, it's so all. true. I miss the camaraderie though. I mean, just the, yeah. the people, you know, I, the people. I feel like that's coming back stronger than ever. I hope so. Oh, I, I mean, I, certainly I, in New York, it is. David, yeah. you're in New York, right? You were just in I Brooklyn. Am, yeah. I mean, people okay. are getting vaccinated, like where the numbers are looking really good. You know, they're talking about opening things by July 1st. So I just I feel like this all this talk about a, a second renaissance is really going to happen. Well, the Abbey never stopped. Everybody's still at the Abbey. I wonder how can people support whether it's queer owned businesses or startups in something that feels so saturated what would you recommend any of our listeners or future listeners to kind of do to discover St. Luna, but also other queer owned businesses that we might not be aware of right now? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the National Gay and Lesbian Chamber of Commerce is something I joined. They've got tons and tons of resources and they highlight gay owned businesses all the time. Um, but do your research, you know, know who you're supporting and know whether or not it's just a, a glitzy marketing ad because, you know, this week we're talking about Pride Month and next week we may be talking about another minority group that, you know, all of a sudden appears in everybody's advertising. And, you know, there's no representation on their board. There's no representation in their executive room and stuff. And, you know, that makes a difference. So, you know, shop small, shop local, shop the craftier places and just know what you're, know what you're shopping. All right. So where can all the listeners uh, find St. Luna? Yeah, so we are online pretty much everywhere. So Drizzly, um, Caskers.com is a little more craftier. Uh, we're at ReserveBar.com. If you have a membership to Flaviar.com, uh, we're there as well. And then we're in select retailers, uh, restaurants, bars, liquor stores all across New York, New Jersey, Tennessee, Delaware, uh, Pennsylvania, and California at the moment. Love it. Okay, and, and also, to expand. if Darren and I were to be cocktails, what would we be? What Maybe would something be? sexy, okay. David. Like first something impressions. Sexy. For I know yeah. you and Darren know each other, but like first impressions, like we walk into a bar, you see me and you're like, that girl is going to order that. So I feel like, Liz, you would probably be more of like a Hemingway daiquiri sort of. <gasps> I fucking love a 
Hemingway daiquiri. And I used to be a bartender and I know. Wait, it's, what's a Hemingway daiquiri? It's the best. David, please go ahead. <laughs> Liz is really freaking good. out. I love we it. Make, we make a really good one with St. Luna. So it's, um, it's grapefruit juice and a little bit of Luxardo, which is a maraschino liqueur. It's super, super tasty. You can even put a little lime in there, shake it up really, really cold in a coupe. With, yes, a, with, a, with a lime right on the top. Oh my God, David, you are a that's soothsayer. Weird. That yeah, is that's weird. Sucks. One of my favorite drinks of all time. All right. And I are, feel like- I'm a Poland spring water bottle filled with vodka. Or you're going to say that to me I, right now, David, right? <laughs> no, I was going to say, you sort of strike me as like a fun old fashioned person, but- Yeah, that's I totally I feel hurt. like on the, on the surface, maybe it's like a fun old fashioned, but really it is sort of like that Poland spring bottle with- uh, yeah. <laughs> Thank you for recognizing my inner character. I really appreciate it, David. You have nailed both of our personalities in some sort of way that I don't know if I'm going to cry or I'm going to go buy a case of St. Luna, but I'm fucking ready for it. It is a maybe a fun mule would be sort of Mm, where you'd go. Love a Moscow mule. I love an old fashioned. I always switch to vodka in the summer because it's hard to drink, you know, brown liquor in, Mm -hmm. in the summer. It's just like too heavy for me. It's just too warm. But you fucking nailed it, dude. Oh, uh, nailed it. That's the test. My God. Well, David, you're the best. We love you. We love you. And we thank you for taking the time to educate us about a new queer business and St. Luna and really how you're walking the walk and talking the talk and the whole nine yards. Yeah. Thank you both so much for having me. And I forgot to mention, we are also on Instagram. I've got oh. tons of recipes on Instagram. Uh, we are St. Luna Spirits, all spelled out on Instagram. So give us a follow, take a look at some recipes, and hopefully I'll see you out um, out on the town. I was going to say, if Liz comes back to New York, which she will, because I've been guilt tripping her for it, let's all have a lovely uh, St. Luna drink together on the water. And, uh, you know, I'll have my Poland Spring water bottle, but you two can have your fancy schmancy drinks with some St. <laughs> Luna, and I'm, I'm down for it. So I will thank make, you so much. I, I'll make you something you'll enjoy, I promise. I don't doubt it. Everyone get yourself a bottle or five or eight of St. Luna because it is absolutely delicious and smooth, just like Dave. Well, Darren. Yes, my love. We've got a really exciting guest today. Now, for those of you guys, obviously, who've listened to the show for a while, you know I started yes. a new job at Condé Nast. And being at Condé you know, I really want people to think that I'm cool. It's hard to be cool at Condé because like the next person is way cooler than you. Like you thought you were cool and you're not. You don't think that people think you're cool because you're friends with me? You don't think that 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 actually, Darren, no, no lie, because I know you're asking this because you know this. The one percent loves Bravo. So yes, I am very cool by being proxy to you. I got inserted into some Bravo obsessed Slack channel with all oh. these fancy girls from Vogue and they all love you. So then oh. by proxy, they love me. But no, so I was looking and one of you know my favorite properties for many reasons of Condé is them. And I stumbled yes. upon a bunch of names of people they thought were cool and things that were going on. And a name came to me right yeah. in that it list. Just, it just smacked you in the face, if you will. It just slapped me. It slapped yeah, me in go. the face. And yes. that person is here today. And I'm going to read his bio. Matt Chu is the editor and founder of machupichu.com, which like, 
dead. It's so dead, good. It's dead. just a clever, and I've never been to Machu Picchu, but like, I feel like after today, I don't need to because I've accomplished that goal by talking to him. Yep. A genderless fashion blog that champions bold and artful living. Since the blog's inception in 2016, Matt has garnered a hundred K plus audience on social Casual. and is known for his keen eye on creative and forward design. When not creating content, this is actually my favorite part of the bio. When not creating content, he's immersed in the world of spirituality and is always seeking ways to live a grounded and authentic life. Matt, welcome to the show. Hi, thank you for having me. Uh, you know, I got to be honest with you. Like we're, we're going to have like serious questions for you here, Matt, but I'm going to have some fashion questions for you at the end because Liz likes to make fun of my fashion. No, I don't last- make fun of your fashion, Darren. <laughs> just, just let me finish. Okay. And then... I showed up to a photo shoot like a month ago and I was wearing the Balenciaga like sock sneakers. And it was like, as if I had like committed a crime. It was like, no, this was like, that's not what was like, what's going on? <laughs> that's not what Are happened. we wearing socks and sneakers now? She was very, she no, just, no. I need you to support me here, Matt. That's Hold on I'm, really quickly. Okay. And then yeah. we'll move on. Cause I think yeah. Matt needs to uh-huh. have the full landscape. Here. The full story here. Okay. She walks into our photo shoot <laughs> wearing the ones that look like socks In a neon highlighter hue. So it wasn't like she was just wearing the black ones. It was a statement. And she had the match. Hold on. And she had the matching highlighter beanie, leather jacket, cute pants. All I said, all I said, I was like, damn, she out here really turning looks. That's all I said. Matt. Like, do you agree with like a neon Balenciaga sock shoe or no? I mean, Is that I'm passe? All about anything that makes you happy, anything that really yes. pops for everyone and feels true to you, go for it. <laughs> God, I love you already. I okay, now we'll definitely, get- <laughs> I think that definitely meant no. <laughs> <laughs> no, that means it makes me happy, bitch, and he's accepting it. But let's get into talking to him. So, you know, every week on the show when we have a guest, Matt, we ask them how they identify, whether sexuality, gender. Would you mind answering it? And if you don't want to answer it, just tell us why. I'm sure I go by pronouns in terms of pronouns he and him. And in terms okay. of expression, just um, much more like less bracketed, so much more fluid and genderless in terms of that. So and not really tied down to any like labels. Like I've been called ma'am like twice this time, like this week over the phone. And I'm just like, you know what? Let it go. Like this is, it is yeah. what it is. <laughs> Would you like, strongly identify in the queer culture? Like if we, if someone called you queer or identified you as queer, would you take that with pride or do you kind of push back at any sort of label that's maybe pushed on you? Um, I think I would take that with pride, right? I think these days, you know, there's obviously everyone identifies different and there's so many ways you can be inclusive and diverse with um, how you talk to people. Um, but I think at this point for me, I've kind of embraced that any term like really fits. Like I think I'm not tied down to one particular label. And I think everyone, at least within the queer community, has gone through so much. So at this right. point, any, any like however you want to like feel like you most suitable call me like I'm fine with that like I'm comfortable as a person as I am and it is what it is good for I you. want to know about you I want okay. to know <laughs> that's why he's on the podcast <laughs> <laughs> well yeah duh. but I just mean like tell I mean your Instagram is beautiful it's one beautiful. of those places oh in gosh. the internet it's just very thoughtful it's very calming you know, you talk about spiritual spirituality being important to you, but like, where did you grow up? Where are you from? Like, yeah, your background. yeah. Um, I guess they're kind of split all over the place. So I was born in Florida, um, but where? basically only in Gainesville, but I basically only spent one year there in my life. 
Oh my God. I love it. Continue. Do you ever like to game though? No, I've never <laughs> been. I just like, um, I didn't think that was coming. Like you're, I, you yeah. seem so like, I thought you were going to be like, so I was born in Paris and yeah, then right. I did a like stint New York, in Berlin. London, like, yeah. yeah, like in a cool fucking city, something yeah, like, not finish. that Gainesville isn't cool. <laughs> I was only, I was born there. So I was basically only there for one year before relocating um, to Taipei, Taiwan. And so that's where I grew up. So I went to American school there. So kind of like very interesting because I kind of have like a third culture kid. Like, am I American? Am I Taiwanese? Like neither. Cause like I, I they're both, you know, being in American school in Taiwan. So um, kind of have a very unique experience of the blend of two and then basically grew up there and then came here for college. So um, kind of like came all the way around, but kind of just having very like local exposure to like, you know, Taiwanese people because that's where I grew up. And also, you know, like people are always like, where are you from? Like, are you from like LA? I'm like, no, I just grew up watching like Hollywood. That's why I sound like I'm from LA. What were you watching? What were you watching growing up, going to school in Taiwan? I feel like any basic person would be watching like on whatever's on television. I did not watch Gossip Girl or like any of those like teen things, but like whatever's on TV, I don't even remember. And then like Modern Family and like those kind of things. And then they kind of just naturally like pick up the accent of whoever's like actually on the TV. And I think like, um, for most people, they're just kind of, kind of like, oh, then you must be from California. And I'm like, no. I was going to say, I can hear Sofia Varaga like so clear in your accent from watching <laughs> yeah, Modern yeah. Family. It's like mm-hmm. right there. One of my best friends is uh, his dad actually teaches in Taiwan. He's Chinese. Uh, oh. And he was he was kind of like born and raised, like kind of back and forth, back and forth. But he grew up in like Brooklyn Heights, but he goes to Taipei every single year. And his dad still teaches there and he teaches like economics or something. And we often talk about it. And I'm just curious for you. You know, he would describe himself as like a Chinese American, uh, heterosexual guy, you know, married to a Chinese Japanese person. But he would also say Chinese American. And I said, do you identify with one over the other or what? Like, if does one take precedent for you? I mean, would you say that like you said you were a little bit struggle? Like, am I American? And, I, you know, am I from like, like, how do you rectify that? And what in your mind is your process for your identification? Yeah, I think like when most people like ask me, like my first default easiest to digest answer would be like Taiwanese American. And, you know, Mm -hmm. like that's a little differentiated in terms of like, you know, people, Asian Americans who grew up in the States, I find that they usually say like, I'm Asian American. Um, But, you know, Mm -hmm. me having like a very solid home base in Taiwan, I usually default to saying Taiwanese American. Um, And I would say like, definitely like, you know, there's nuances within Eastern um, Asia, Asian culture. So there's definitely like, when you know someone who's like from East Asia and like see you, there's like, oh, like I can tell you're from Taiwan because like, there's a certain kindness, certain like demeanor that's very Taiwanese that, you know, someone might not necessarily be able to differentiate with their, like if they, that they grew up here. So that's like kind of like what I say. So that, yeah, I think that was, that encapsulates me pretty well. Um, but I think I don't, it honestly doesn't come up uh, that much as much anymore, just in terms of like, I feel like when you really connect with people and you meet them and like, they just kind of like, you are like, you are who you are. Like you're not true. Yeah. And like, I'm like, that's it. <laughs> What is the biggest difference between American culture and Taiwanese culture in terms of sexuality? Are, are, is there more freedom in America, less freedom here than in other places? What's the, is there any difference between that? I mean. Yeah, there's definitely a difference. Like I would say, like, I think the state has been such a pioneer in terms of all the LGBT plus movement. So like I would say Taiwan's probably one of the most liberal um, East Asian countries. 
and we're probably we're the first one to actually legalize gay marriage or like same sex marriage or LGBTQ wow. plus marriage. Oh. But because like the America has so much of the precedent, like a lot of like you know queer culture kind of shapes after what has happened in the states in terms of like what people look up to, like drag, like pop culture, and all of those things. Um, so I would definitely say there's a little more for freedom here, but I think with a younger generation, especially in Taiwan, they're like so open, so like very open-minded when it comes to like different identities and like the different ways that people identify. Like, I think there's a, definitely like a cutoff between like older generations, but I think that kind of happens everywhere, but it's, yeah. it's pretty like a hard split. Like, you know, with my parents' generation, they're just like, what is that? Like, you like men? Like, oh, is that, oh, I've never heard gay before. But like, you know, it's kind of like the, the cutoff is very much like, I think starting with millennials in Taiwan, like they're generally quite open. So it's just starting. I think it's a very, very exciting time, actually. Did you have to kind of have a coming out experience yeah. in yes. Taiwan yes. with your... You did? Um, so Can I you share it? How'd it go? <laughs> We've all yeah. been there. You're laughing, so that's got to be at least good. Um, I did not voluntarily come out, but it was. Oh. Um, I will share the backstory. So I was dating someone in high school. Um, I was a freshman and he was a senior. We met in choir. He made fun of me. Uh, so I said, like, a hello. And I was like, this guy sucks. Like, I'm going to, like, never talk to him. <laughs> um, little did we know, three months later, we're, like, making out in, like, the practice room. And so that was basically... First of all, can I just say a gay choir, like, <laughs> like make out in the This is a porno room? waiting to happen. Like, uh, for uh, a vibe. And, like, we'll just, like, turn off the lights and, like, set the, you know, set the tone. <laughs> Flutes in the background. Trumpets are in the back. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Just sheet music everywhere. (laughs) I love it. So, yeah, literally, we know that we're going to like start dating. And that was obviously like bad timing. It was like his last semester in high school. So, essentially, like the relationship was very timed. Like, there was an expiration date set to it. But, like, my mom was just like, all of your friends are like girls. Like, what's up with this guy that you're like constantly talking to? And I was just like, we're just like, friends like you know like we just really get along and then she was like I think you know mom like I think my mom's very perceptive she was just like you know what something's not right and then so one time we went to watch a movie and then she was like I'm gonna go pick you up and then she even like dressed up to like pick me up because like she, I think she was like kind of like expecting like oh yeah this is the first time I'm gonna meet that boy and like I'm gonna make an impression <gasps> and so she showed up and then she was like reading the dynamic and like afterwards like I think I want to say a week or two after we came out she's like so like you like boys and then I was just like what, what do you mean and then she's just like I feel like there's this thing going on between you two and I was like yeah I guess I do and it was kind of a shock to her at first took her like I want to say a month or two to like kind of get over it but again like kind of back to our conversation earlier about how in Taiwan with our older generation they don't really have the vocabulary and like the social dynamic to kind of talk about these things so you know like for me playing a Barbie when I was five years old playing with like my little pony those kind of things are not indicative of anything they're just means that maybe i'm just more like feminine leaning or those kind of things but you know they didn't have that she didn't have the dialogue or like the vocabulary to really put into words like what she was going through so obviously it was a lot for her to take but you know i also have a nice buffer because i do have an older brother who's heterosexual so like you know in like asian families there's like or any like family, there's always saying like, oh, I would love a grandson and like, you know, or like granddaughter mm. and those kind of things. So like, like as a younger sibling, it was kind of nice to have kind of have that buffer. Like, obviously, like I think things would have in the end been the same because like my mom's very um, open-minded. She's very embracive of like, you know, pe- like kids' personalities and like different interests. 
but it does take her like a month or two to kind of like wrap her head around it. But so in some sense, she's out, she outed me because she's kind of forced and like pried into me. But at the same time, like if there were a lot of hints, there were a lot of signs that were like, you know, projecting at her in the moment. I got to say, I think it's and, and obviously I'm not you and I don't know your mother, but there's something really endearing about her dressing up to like meet the boy for the first time. Like, as you know, I was talking about this with my mom actually earlier today, how I was, uh, how I said, because she had just listened to our recent podcast and we were talking about how like sometimes parents need to- Your mom listens to the show? She loves the show. She Peter Pants laughing from Alaska Thunderfuck. She Peter Pants. And then she was like, oh "Oh my God, God. Rachel Sideburns having a hard time coming out to Karama. My mom is fucking, she's in. (laughs) She's involved in scissoring. And we were talking about how sometimes parents need to like- mourn the idea of what they had for their child. And so it's not like they don't accept you. I mean, not in all cases, just in some cases, it's like, it's not like they don't accept you. It's like they have to get over their own idea. And for you, I'm wondering if it, do you think it helped kind of having your mom, like push it out of you? Like, would you have felt comfortable enough? I mean, there must've been something that like was kind of nice that you didn't need to have the conversation to some extent, or were you like utterly embarrassed and not ready to kind of share this view with your family? Yeah, I think that's interesting because I actually never really thought about it that way. I think it came at a time that I needed because I think obviously there's a secret that I was hiding and like I was sneaking around with a boy, you know, doing stuff like after school and like, you know, after all these hangouts. Um, so I think, and my mom's kind of the person who likes to seek truth, which is why like, you know, like she likes honesty. She wants people to be like, be, you know, authentic with others. And so that's why she, you know, like she likes to have the answers. And sometimes that comes at a cost where she, it almost feels like she's like imposing on you. Um, but I think at that time, like, you know, obviously like I, I already had this like inner sense of like, okay, I probably should tell them. Cause like, you know, at some point I don't want to be hiding anymore. It probably came a little earlier than I would have anticipated. But at the same time, I think it did accelerate the process a lot more than, probably, you know, if I had taken a lot longer. And so in some ways, I'm grateful she like made me come out in some ways. But I think in the moment, I was kind of already ready because I was kind of like, you know, this group has been dating for two, three months already. So it wasn't, it was it was like kind of this thing I was already like keeping to myself. And it wasn't really telling all my friends either, only like pockets of friends I knew very well. So it really was like, I think I was half ready and then she kind of just pushed it over the edge. Did you grow up with any sort of like religious background or was it more like not having the language in that in, you know, Taiwanese culture to maybe talk about those things or, you know, have like maybe how how we kind of had in America or was it anything caked in sort of like a religious aspect or not at all? Was it all Um, cultural? Not not really. I think it would mostly be like the social scene in terms of where Taiwan was standing in terms of the progressive and like how progressive we were. Um, like my mom was humorously baptized as a Christian when she was in the States, not knowing what it was. So it's just like, I guess I'm Christian now, but like at that point, like she really was not really, you know, following the faith or like that religion at all. Um, she did become later on, a, like now she's a Buddhist. And so um, when you're a Buddhist, you're much more accepting and much more embracive of, you know, different people in different situations. Um, but at that given point in time, there was not really, there was not really religious impact factored into the um, conversation. You talk about your mom. Well, I think we're latching on to that dressing up, which we're obsessed with. Yeah. And then, you know, your fashion, this like beautiful genderless fashion that you present on social. Mm-hmm. Where does that come from? Talk us also through that. Like, who were your inspirations growing up? 
do you feel like your fashion is really influenced by this kind of dual American Taiwanese upbringing? Like give us it all. Yeah. Um, I would say like my mom is definitely like a very like solid starting ground in terms of fashion. Like she's always been into fashion. So like she loves prints, which I love too. And she's like an artist herself. So you're like, she did interior design for a bit. She paints a lot oh, and oh. always had a flair for fashion as well. So I growing up also have a very artistic background. So I painted, I drew and then um, did pastels and all of that. And so always like, you know, like I'd be the little consultant on the side when she goes shopping at a department store, she'd be like, which one? And I'll be like, as a kid, you're of course like, like glitter more and you know, like, but then she'll be like, totally oh, good taste, right? I um, still pick the <laughs> glitter one. I know, like yeah, who doesn't? Right. Like, <laughs> <I'm> like, <laughs> yeah. I always pick the glitter. <laughs> the shiny. There's a lot of a dazzle, like, right? Exactly. It's just like a crow, like yeah. anything sparkle, like love that. Um, so that was kind of like a good, like a very entry point into like how I love fashion. And I think you know, when I was growing up, like I tell this um, to everyone, like when I was younger, like you know, you don't really differentiate between like what you like and don't like, right? So when I was a kid, I have very vivid memories of like looking at dresses and gowns and like just being like, oh my gosh, they're so pretty. I wish I could wear them, right? But when you grow up, you kind of like see that, you know, things are very gendered and like there's expectations of like, you know, a guy looking a certain way or like, you know, basically this representation um, kind of dominating like the narrative of whatever society you're in. And so kind of falling into that. And I wouldn't say like, you know, I kind of just played along and then like came to New York and then there's a gay scene, but kind of did that for a bit. And so just kind of dressed very, I would say very standard to like, what a normal cisgender gay man would be for like the longest time. And I think I would say like, it wasn't until, so I, I always had the creative art aspect kind of removed from fashion. So I was still taking photographs. I was still painting and doing all of these like creative endeavors on the side. I was never really integrated into my interest in fashion. And I've been very lucky to be surrounded by like, um, I went to business school, but I was surrounded by very creative minded business um, students who you know, are very much into like, you know, you know, whether it's like beauty or like in the influencer space or like doing content and all of that. And so I was definitely like very lucky to kind of have exposure where I was shooting for people. I was like collaborating with others. And at one point, like I have this friend, her name is Arita, and she was just like, Matt, you have so much clothes. Like, what are you doing? And you know how to direct photos, you know what to do. And she was like, you should start a blog. And then I was just like, I never thought about putting myself that much on the internet, but like, sure. And so that was in like 2016. And so like, it actually, my blog didn't start as a genderless or like art heavy fat blog, just because, you know, in the early days when like with Instagram and stuff, like people were so like, it's still very menswear or like, it's very much like OOTD or like, reward, like, right. like, you know, it kind of stuff. And right. so that was kind of like where I started, but you know, over time, like just, I think it comes with like personal progression, like personal development, like over time when you kind of like start seeing like there was this inner child, like the, I don't know, like seven, eight year old Matt who's calling like, oh my gosh, like that dress is so pretty. Right. And then there's like, there's this inner calling. It's like, you just feel like, oh my gosh, it's like yelling in your face. Like you got to wear that bedazzled gown. Like you got to do it. What did you and feel <laughs> like when you, when you, when adult Matt finally listens to his inner child for the bedazzled dress be yeah. and where is it how did you feel the first time you wore like a skirt um, or a dress and in public why are you not bedazzled today matt i'm just saying seems <laughs> a little I'm, I'm actually in the middle of a move so like my i have no i have oh. no clothes lying around Fair enough. but <laughs> <laughs> um but i think it, it actually was a gradual process so like for me it was like 
it was more like, okay, like I started with like floral shirts, like even like it's stupid okay. to say, like, I feel like when you're like for a guy, it's like floral shirts, it's like, oh my gosh, that's like so bold, right? And so right. for me, it went from like floral shirts, like oversized tunics to like shirt dresses to like, so it was like a definitely a progression. It wasn't like an overnight kind of just like, oh, I like went from like cisgendered mat to like, I'm in the ball gown. But I think I would say like every step, like for example, like I don't think it's until like two years ago since I like really like went full out into like what like exactly what I wanted to wear. But I think every step, every incremental step, definitely was, there was like fear, like, you know, because I was growing and then like my audience was growing and I was like, I don't know if my audience will all of a sudden be like, well, this is like too much for me. Like this is, you know, beyond what I was asking for. So there's always like the fear of like, you know, whether losing audience, losing friends or like, you know, just kind of pivoting, like, you know, like you really push yourself. But I think for me, it was just this inner calling of just like, this is who I'm meant to be. Like, I'm not trying to be anyone else. And like, it's blatant in my face that there's like a certain original true sense of math that was like manifested. And I just need to listen to the calling. And like, I took it at a slow pace, but it was definitely discomfort along each way. But got to there eventually and ended up in the ballgame. <laughs> Love it. And listen, dis- discomfort is where I think growth happens and it's where exactly. people can really like learn a lot about themselves. You know, I- I'm wondering from you as someone who's really this artist uh, in this world in a lot of ways and sees things as such in this progressive manner. I mean, a lot of times like you need pain in your life to kind of understand what's good, right? Like maybe we do need those very like stereotypical gender expressions to understand what it's like to be genderless and to think things are bold. You know, like I'm thinking like Billy Porter, Harry Styles are, are, are good examples maybe of today of people who kind of gender bend and and wear dresses and, and sequins and stuff like that. But you take someone like Madonna, who kind of has always been known as reinventing herself, but she's always sort of had this different look of femininity, I would say, and isn't necessarily right. gender bending, but just sort of looking of femininity. For you, how important is it to, while to be, have like this genderless, like boys can wear dresses and girls can wear pantsuits and ties. And that doesn't mean make us any less of a man or any less of a woman, but how important is it to maybe also have the opposite of that, where we do have these like classic examples of you know, like blue for boys and pink for girls. Is that important anymore? Do we need that anymore? I think that's an interesting like topic you bring up because like at that point, it's like the juxtaposition becomes like jarred, right? Because like, you know, like where you're coming from and what the root is and therefore like right. you're able to move on. And I think to your point, it's kind of, it, you stand this like the barrier and the standard for like what the old guard looks like, right? And I think especially with a movement that's a little more emerging and I think it's becoming more and more mainstream now, like you kind of need the dialogue and you still, like, I think people don't necessarily wrap their heads around that easily as to what's happening. So there's still some vocabulary you still need, like to be able to define what you're doing. I don't necessarily emphasize it as much because I think sometimes for me, it's like the expression and like what you're conveying in terms of emotion and in terms of the look and feel is what really drives people and what really like affects people. And I think there's like, I think that that's a little more the emotional route, but I think still having the like intellectual understanding of this is where gendered is, is was before. And then being able to break that barrier is still incredibly important in recognizing that, you know, there is a path that we're coming from. And like, it would be totally dismissive to just say that, you know, you know, queer people didn't come from, you know, being imposed with all these expectations and, you know, just respecting that is still, I think, equally important in terms of like taking this um, step forward. Just well said altogether. And I'm wondering for you also is 
maybe this form of like genderless expression or breaking these norms that we have, do you think that it's the ultimate goal of it is to help people see that maybe like not all men wear these and not all women wear this, but really that we're all should be seen as individuals as opposed to like boys do this and girls do this and non-binaries do this. I mean, I feel like it's an expression of just individuality as opposed to anything else. Would you agree with that? Yes, I think you put it perfectly. I think, you know, like fashion is a vehicle in terms of like at least gender fashion for me, is just a vehicle to like get to the place where you feel most yourself. And I think one thing I really do not try to stay away from, and I think where fashion kind of falls into the trap is that, you know, there's all these like editors or like writers saying like, oh, you know, imitate my look or like get this look or like look this way, right? But I think that what I'm championing is basically just be yourself. And like, obviously you're never going to really replicate something one-to-one because I think the way I do something is not going to be the right fit for you. But I think for me, the gender is fashion is essentially getting to the point exactly as you said, like, you know, I want people to know that they can be themselves and feel comfortable and that, you know, they're really coming from the internal kind of inspiration versus extrinsic, right? If you're, when you're doing extrinsically, you're dressing to please. And when you're dressing to please, you're always going to follow, be following some sort of like role or societal expectations. But when you're really dressing for yourself and coming from within and expressing outwards, and that's when you're like really just focusing at you on you as a person versus, you know, like, how do I fit into like a certain mold of a certain persona? Or like, how do I look like a fashion person? How do I look like, you know, a very strong working woman image? Like, you know, just really like coming from within and going about it with like that. I said kind of in the beginning that when I look at your Instagram, it just makes me feel like serene and happy and calm all at the same time. And we are still really in the midst of what is the strangest and somewhat devastating year of all motherfucking time. You know, I mean, <laughs> at least in our lifetimes, for sure. At least yes. in our, in yes. our millennial Gen Z lifestyle lifetime, yeah. like this is fucking the worst. Why? You know? yeah. And, yeah. you know, there's also been, a light at the end of the tunnel in regards to like, we're finally having real conversations about AAPI, like hate, discrimination, and violence. We're finally talking about, I think every day about those issues, about BLM, about LGBTQ plus people, trans rights. Like we're actually, I think in the discomfort and in the despair, having conversations and standing up for people that like as us, especially white people needed to be like constantly learning and talking about, right? How did you find serenity, kindness, warmth in the last year to be producing the beautiful art that you've been making? Like, where do you find that? First of all, like, I, I think I do come from a very privileged scenario where like, you know, like I'm not a frontline worker. I was able to work remote and like be able to do all the stuff I was able to sure. do at home. And, you know, when you're in the, at least early in the pandemic, like content wise, I was just very inspired from all the news that was happening, you know, like people like not social distancing or like people like, you know, still doing, going about their lives, like normally, like there's nothing happening or like, just like, you know, this new procedure and new things are happening in the life and society that was really inspiring in the moment. So I did like a bunch of like household items stuff or like, you know, eating your veggies, you're wearing the mask or like, you know, or even just captions related to whatever was happening. I mean, I've always been more of an introvert. So like when the pandemic started, I was kind of like the introvert in me just was just like, yes, 
Like, yes, like <laughs> I no longer have to be like in the, like, you know, doing all of these things. So I think it was definitely challenging for everyone. It was just such a radical approach to how you like live about life. But in my moments, like for me, there was, you when you didn't know what was going to happen in the future, especially when there were so many unknowns and back in the day, we're talking like, oh, two weeks will be over, right? Um, but oh, obviously, you know. Uh, yeah, right, exactly, <laughs> exactly. yeah. But just being in the moment and like really focusing on like what ideas was coming to me and like really like acting on them. Um, I think there's also a way could a good way for me to distract myself because there was just so much crazy. There was so much yeah. happening in the world. I was just kind of like if you constantly like pay attention to like every single breaking news or like every single thing that's happening in the news, like you would at some point just like mentally fall apart. And so that's something I I've always been very like wary of that because, you know, at the end of the day, like there's advertisers who feeding into the page views who would like basically feed you like, you know, all like the notifications that you get from like, let's say other news publications. Right. And so I tend to only want to follow like, or like just read, get the general gist of what's happening. And then after a while, turn off. And so not too much like over the anxiety inducing stuff is getting to you. And so that was like a big factor. And then just like, you know, having that, like, I think creating content was just such a, it's always been like a love of my life. So, you know, continuing to do that, continue to do like kind of having a good distraction against like what was happening in the rest of the world was um, definitely a privilege, but I think it definitely got me through some of like the harder earlier days, like last year. Yeah. I was re-watching, I'm a big reality TV fan, and I was, as you can see from the show sign that I do in the background, and I was watching sort of this history of reality TV, and they were talking about America's Next Top Model, which I watched a lot in the early 2000s when it came out, and I never realized at the time, this is 20 years ago now, how actually forward Tyra Banks was in her picking of models. I mean, they had a trans model, they've had gay, big, you know, young, old, like they really, I felt like she actually really set the stage for a lot of this. And I'm wondering for you, you know, like how important is it to represent different types of models, whether, you know, transgender, gender non-conforming, strict male, strict female, whatever. And also in fashion, I mean, where do you want to see the fashion industry? What's the next step for the fashion industry that you would like to see happening right now? Yeah, I think you bring up a great point. I think fashion, when you think of fashion, there's, you can't talk about fashion without a system. And it's a system because, you know, there are power players who are basically the old guards of whatever is happening. So, you know, there's old guards who are basically keeping what the system is at a status quo. And that's always hard to tackle. But I think where I would like to see more of the forward like perspective would probably just be, you know, like, Championing individuality in the sense that it's no longer just about the skinny model and as you said, like having more representation because I think it might not be immediate, right? Because when you have, let's say, like America's next top model, like you have someone who's like a team watching it and they see someone represented who looks like them on the TV right. or like on the internet, then you know, come when they do become get to the age where they're that they working in fashion and making these decisions, and they are also in the place where they're like, okay, I can see myself there, and because of this empowerment that I see for myself I'm able to make these decisions that would also trickle down even further down generations in terms of like being inclusive and diverse so I think like those things are incredibly important like is it an easy journey I don't think it is but I think also social media like I mean gave me the opportunity to have this platform to represent to show something that was outside of the magazine spread right but I think that's where the power of social media really comes in just being able to like having more a democratic platform to have other people showcase what their life and lifestyle is about versus just having you know back in the day when everything was just so fed to you like it's like 
you whatever you represented is the source of truth versus now it's more of a dialogue and more reach in terms of like who can be just putting content out there. So um, definitely just a push on, you know, I, I would say like the old guard people probably, you know, they're not to say, but like they're going to die out. <laughs> yeah. But like, you know, as in, in the interim, true. like pushing. But like make- not, not true. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But like pushing, you know, like whenever you can just pushing some of these, or even just my stance, like pushing people to like think of it in certain, like when I'm working with a brand, just think of something differently versus just like being like, oh yeah, like I need this deal. So therefore I'm going to go with whatever status quo, but pushing on that end. And then also just like, you know, whenever there is an opportunity to amplify some of these more diverse voices that like traditionally being overlooked, a show like this is like amazing. So what I, my big takeaway is that Darren Karp needs to wear more neon Balenciaga sock shoes. That's what I've gathered from <laughs> this 30 minute conversation. To the, no, no, no. That's what he, what he said. That's exactly what Matt said right there. That's, no, I mean, uh, okay. that's how I, I think what I was saying was more like ball gown with neon Balenciaga <laughs> I actually See, am not Matt mad can at take that. The, I'm not, I'm not mad, mad at, at it that. either. Like, no, I think honestly, I'm not joking about what you said. I think it was absolutely like brilliant. And I would like to see fashion as well as representation as a person also be uh, seen by that too. Like, you know, just different types of models and different types of fashion kind of, kind of bending, um, you know, the, uh, the, the people that are going to die out anyway. Uh, so to end this kind of, um, to end this podcast, we usually end with a little game that we call scissor me. This, it is just rapid fire, bullshitty nonsense type of questions. So there's okay. no right or wrong answer. And Liz, why don't you tee it up for the first one for Matt? Would you rather have terrible art hanging all over your house or wear a terrible outfit to the Met Gala? I would take both. Like, I want it to be ironic. I want people to be like, yes, bad taste. And I'll be like, love it. Love that. Like, I'm going to show you even, even uglier. <laughs> Ten years Great down the line, you'll be like, this is good taste. But I will take both. <laughs> it is kind of interesting, though, because like people who can be like have bad taste, there's sort of art and beauty in that, too. But like, Matt, admit it to me now. Like, if you see someone on the street, and you think they have bad taste. Like, are you like, Ooh. Like, like, do you celebrate it or are you kind of like in your head, like, oh, don't put that with that? You know, in the past, like I would say, like, I've done a lot of work on myself. Like in the past, <laughs> been, there, there would have been an inner mean girl who would be like this girl. Like, but then now I'm just like, <laughs> but now I'm like, you know what? They're trying. Like if they put something right. ugly together and like, and it doesn't work. I'm like, that's effort. That's more effort than like any cisgender white man who's just wearing like a tank top. Like that's effort. I applaud that. So. True. I love this is the work. <laughs> I absolutely love it. Okay, if you could only photograph one part of the body, doesn't it could be on you, could be on anyone else, one part of the body for the rest of your life, what would it be? Like I'm gonna go with the cliche answer of eyes because there's just so much depth and soul in the eyes. But I would say also probably like the vibe. Like I feel like there's just so many curvations and like so many like bulbous shades. Like, you know, there's just so many variations of it that I just, I don't think you can ever get enough. <laughs> Amen okay. to that. I like this. <laughs> who is a celebrity or icon who has questionable fashion that you actually like love? I don't know, actually, because I don't try. I try not to judge like, anymore. Like for me, fair. I <laughs> okay, feel sure, like sure, sure you're. <laughs> Matt's trying to be a better person, Liz, and you're encouraging him to be a bad person. Well, over I talk here, about okay? this person on the podcast and in my own personal life all the time. But Paris Hilton really comes to mind for me 
Because uh, the shoes really never make sense. She has really <laughs> big feet. I think that might be a reason. <laughs> but like her fashion is always just like a little off. And yet I don't care. Like she could wear anything. And she I could, just love Paris her. fucking help. It's Paris fucking help. love her. Anyway. No, okay. I think it's her attitude. Like when I should like whatever's hot yeah. on her. It's hot. It's hot. That's hot. That's hot. Um, Gorge. um, Okay. Most overrated fashion trend. It's not not a trend, but it's a look. Like the biker jacket, white tee and jeans, like that being like, so like French girl, oh. like so chic, like oh, so my uh, only uh, outfit so I've ever worn. Thank you, <laughs> thanks, Matt. Okay, wait, Darren and great. I are like, thanks, let's wrap, wrap, wrap. I'm burning my leather fucking jacket after this. No, I'm never not. wearing a t-shirt again. You know what? Nope. But you know what? It's about the attitude. I think you know, like I think some people it just makes sense for their style. But I think I've met people who work in fashion who like wears that look and thinks that they're the shit so it's like it's those type of people mm. that like irk me because like they think like this is so she like so big like you know par par down and like this is like such a cool girl look like that's what it gets me right because if that's your natural style go for it but then when you like go when you do something that's supposed to be like grounded and like you know easy and then you're like having an like a haughty like you know i'm better than you attitude that's when it gets me that's weird because Darren also does that when she wears that outfit. I also every am day. better than both of you, so yeah. this is con- so this so is tough strange. for me, Matt. This is that's very so hard for me. Yeah, okay, that's so weird. Um, last one for me, and it's really like random. But are you Team Britney or t- Team Christina? I want to say Team Britney just because free Britney. So there's just so much happening on that end. I'm just like you cannot ignore what's happening. So Team Britney all the way. Got it. <laughs> I love that. Okay, last one for me. One outfit for the rest of your life. What are you rocking? You got to put it on every day. What do you feel the What do you feel the happiest in? What's the matte outfit? Wedding gown. Um. Oh, yes. I love you. I literally love you. You insulted my entire being and what I wear, but I fucking love you now. Wait, <laughs> who designs the wedding gown? Give me um, every detail. Like, like honestly, yes. any like any floor length, very dramatic. Like, there's this dress I've been craving just lusting after from Valentino that I'm like really loving but any like it's one of those things where like I think it's so special but like around come around like mating season around spring I'm like this boy wants a wedding gown (laughs) but like that's one of those things I'm just like you know what like wedding gowns like if they're just an everyday staple how happy would that make me I'll just walk around gliding around at the real looking like from heaven like I don't know what I'm going for (laughs) <laughs> all right well Matt, not an answer i ever expected never. and an answer i absolutely fucking needed what a great way to end the show matt you are just wonderful sorry to interrupt you liz i just no, wasn't i, was a, I wasn't say, expecting the wedding I, gown thing I, I, neither I was it. i but matt can you tell the audience where to find you so they can propose to you so that you can wear your <laughs> wedding gown every oh, day yeah, or I send mean, you free wedding gowns yes yeah i mean my <laughs> My okay, my Instagram, Matthew Pichu, is always open. It wasn't really started a platform to for people to find the DMs, but it is open in case you do want to do that. So there you go. <laughs> I love it. I'm about it. to well, slide into his DMs right now. You better know calm it. Calm down, Darren. Well, <laughs> I'm sorry. you can find us. Darren is at Carpe Darren. I'm at Listen to Liz. And Scissoring is at SIAT Podcast every friday matt this has been such a pleasure i really loved getting to know you yes and thank you for bringing like joy and happiness and light in such a dismal time like thank you so much for your time this show really lights like really light up my afternoon as well so thank you guys for having me 
You are so welcome. Now you just need to scissor in a wedding gown and then you've accomplished it all, my friend. Yeah, all comes back around. <laughs> yes, it does. Oh, Thank you so much, Matt. Thank we really you. appreciate it. Thank you. Scissoring Isn't a Thing is a production of Embassy Row. Our executive producer is Sarni Rogers. This episode was produced by Alexa Machia and Anna Marie Johnson. The show is edited by Maureen Begas. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at SIAT Podcast. See you next Tuesday.